I'm going to share with you a story about my, uh, some of my, my back pain and neck surgeries. But uh, to those of you here for both services, uh, you're going to hear the second cause of my back pain. I never get to tell these stories back to back, but you'll get it. So uh, I had, a, I had a, an incident while I was traveling for work that kind of blew out my neck. And then it was that week when uh, our church, we were so excited about this new church that, that came to our town. And uh, for, on a Saturday for Father's Day, they rented out a roller rink and they said, everyone, bring your dads, kids, bring your dads for an afternoon of pizza and, and fun and, and roller skating. And then at, in the culmination of all this fun was they had all the dads go out on the roller rink to race. And, you know, I don't know about you, but uh, I was a kid. I spent some time, you know, at, uh, at North Point Roller Rink in Spokane. And I used to go there and hang out. The first place I ever chewed tobacco because my age, we were completely unsupervised uh, at the roller rink. Um, but at this uh, event as a dad, a father of three in my mid-30s, an unhealthy, competitive nature. We get out there and we start, they say go, we start racing. And I don't know, it's like four laps, I think, or three laps, I can't remember. But uh, we start going and I'm like, I'm right in front. And I'm, you know, because in, in, you know, in roller skating, it's all about the turns, it's all about the corners. Because as you know. Uh, but I was, I was winning and I was like, yeah, I'm going to win this. My kids are watching. I'm showing off for my kids. My wife thinks I'm really hot right now because I'm winning. And I come around and like turn three, the last one, this guy, uh, or coming out of turn two, this guy cuts underneath. And it was a guy I knew and kind of was competitive with anyway. And he pulled out in front. And so I go into the last corner before and I thought I'm going to cut under him. I just got to turn really hard. And so I did. I come and I cut and I get down and I, and I cut. And as I'm coming out of my turn, I'm so excited. I came out a little too early. My foot front was sideways and I did a dive roll. And I'm thinking in the moment, I remember thinking this, I'm going to do a dive. Okay, I'm going down. I remember in the army, they taught me dive rolls. And so I'm going to do a dive roll and I'm going to come back up on my wheels and I'm going to win. And so I start going, and I did a dive roll, and I came back up, and not understanding physics, I, uh, my feet went out from under me ahead, and I landed right on my tailbone, goo, probably going 100 miles an hour, boom, and I got up, and I got second place, yes. That caused this traumatic injury on my spine that led to six years of managing pain, navigating physical therapy, surgery, um, pain medications, then having to deal with the side effects and the, the psychological effects of pain medication. And it just led to this whole season of just pain and, and, and struggle. And, and I learned a whole bunch of stuff in the process. You know, I was trying to think about how to describe in a way that you'll relate to, what it me, what's it like to try to function in the world while you're in pain? And one thing I thought of is like me trying to preach a coherent message to you out of the Bible while someone is screaming in my ear at the same time. If you ever had chronic pain, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You want to be kind and patient, but something is screaming in your ear and, and everything is heightened, tensions 
are high, you're living in this constant state of anxiety, fear, and then there's ramifications around you with the people around you, they tend to not want to be around you because you're kind of a cranky when you're in pain, and having that physical pain is present with you all the time causes you to do things and say things and to react certain ways that you usually have to apologize for later. And uh, that type of pain, that type of uh, just living with that chronic pain is one of those things we're going to talk about today and how Jesus dealt with someone like that. Um, And I have everything from the miracle of medicine where I had two neck surgeries. One, they went in from here. One, they went in from here. They fused some vertebrae. They... You know, I had the choice to either take a a bone from my hip or bone from a pig and put it in my neck to fuse my vertebrae. I'm like, I'll go with the hip. I don't even know the pig. I don't like to get to know the guy first, you know, but it's kind of intimate. But anyway, uh, and I just want to just pause for a moment. Uh, Part of my healing process involved a lot of medical experts caring for me. And is anyone here in the medical field? If you're online, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for what you do. Generally speaking, you're underappreciated, underpaid, you're, but you do it because you care about people. And I know myself, I was, I was brought to healing because people took the time to become, to achieve a level of expertise in a field of caring for other humans that I needed. And I just want to say thank you. Um, we have a story that, that I'm hoping we can share today uh, with Josh Allen, Uh, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to have Josh come up and tell his story of uh, his healing. So God, I thank you for today, and just pray for your presence with us. Guide us, direct us to yourself, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, this is Josh. He's one of our worship leaders, and uh, he's got a a story to tell. Hello, I'm Josh. Um, So my my healing story began in 2017. it was just, basically what happened is I started noticing some strange things happening. Like my resting heart rate would be sitting at 100 or 110. Um, and I was starting to get more and more fatigued. And so one, one day I was at the gym and I was um, working out on the elliptical, as one does. And I'd usually be able to make it like 30 or 40 minutes. was kind of like a standard amount. But about seven minutes in, just everything stopped working. And I don't know... I don't know how to explain it other than something in my brain or subconscious or something just shut everything down. And that was really unnerving because that's never happened to me in all my years. So I knew something was wrong. So I started to go to the doctor, you know, trying to explain to them what was happening. They kind of brushed me off at first saying, you're just getting older and you need to accept that, which I do not accept. (laughs) Um, So... We did a bunch of testing and um, EKG stuff where they put all the suction cups on you and stuff, and everything was normal. And I kept saying, no, everything's not normal. I know what feels normal, and you don't turn old in, like, two months. Well, maybe you do, but I don't. (laughs) So I finally went and got an x-ray done because I was saying it felt kind of like when I I had pneumonia when I was younger and I couldn't breathe in. So it kind of felt like, well, maybe there's some sort of fluid building up in my lungs or something like that. I don't know. So they did that, and the next day the doctor called me at like 9 o'clock or 9.30-ish, which is pretty unusual time for your doctor to call you, and said, we're getting you to the oncologist like Friday because you have like a, it was a fist-sized 
something. Not my heart, because my heart was still there. But it was something else that was there. It was 11 by 12 centimeters, and it's not supposed to be there. <laughs> so sure enough, we went, and it was cancer. In this case, it, it ended up being uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So that was a diagnosis, and I had to start chemo right away because it was already... What was going on is it was getting so big that it was starting to push against my heart. And when that happens, your heart has a defense mechanism where it starts to produce fluid to protect itself. And the, the thing of my body shutting down and the, the fast heart rate and stuff was all tied to that. So I went through several months of some pretty tough chemo, um, taking lots of drugs and being, my, my daughters called them my angry pills because it was really intense steroid stuff that you have to take that lowers your immune system, but it also causes you to get really impatient and not be such a nice person to be around sometimes. <laughs> so, um, so that was a, just a really discouraging time for me. And um, so, so I was dealing with depression, anxiety. Um, but one of my pastor friends sent me a, a text one day, and he said that he was praying Psalms 27 over my life. And that I had to look that up because I didn't automatically know what that was. Um, and some of the verses in that that stood out to me were the beginning. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And then later on, um, though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. So it's all this stuff about not being afraid that God's on our side. Um, and then the thing that struck me the most towards the end of the chapter um, David says, I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so that just, to me, that, that kind of just gave me like permission to ask God for healing and for his grace. And I think, I think there, was, there was sort of like a tendency in me just to, to accept what was going on and to, okay, I know you don't heal everyone, so I'm not going to, I can't come before you and ask for that because that would be too much. But it says right there, um, I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And that's, that's just an encouragement um, to come to God and ask for that, that. That healing is for now and for this world too. And it can happen through miraculous means of like just instant, but also just doctors and medicine and the, the intelligence that he's given people and discoveries and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So... Um, so you're cancer-free for... So, yeah. So my last treatment was four years ago. Um, the, the, the type of cancer I had, the, the survival and not coming back rate is super high when you get to five years. So we're, we're continuing to pray, and things are good. And... Awesome. Yep. Yeah. That beautiful story, God's faithfulness. You know, I want to give you permission, if I can, if that's even how it works in your brain, not really mine, but uh, you could pray for physical healing. Did you know that 23 out of the 37 miracles of Jesus were that are listed in the New Testament here were physical healing. 23 of the 37. We can pray for healing. And we're going to talk about that today in this story of this leper. And this is a very powerful story. Everything about this story goes deeper than what you would think from the, the, the interaction with Jesus, where this is placed in the text, and the, command, uh, and the, the direction that Jesus gives this guy. It's so so powerful and layered and so uh, clear if we can look at it uh, through this lens. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, have you ever felt that feeling that when, when, you've, when you've got pain and all of a sudden the pain's gone and like, 
the world is amazing. Like when you feel relief, uh, whether it's whether it's gas or uh, you know uh, some you know a headache goes away or a migraine. You're at the end of a migraine. Everyone's still at, when the migraine's over, or if you've been sick for a long time and you feel better, you just feel elated. You know, I was thinking of the old Alka-Seltzer commercial, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Like, when the pain's gone, it's a huge relief. We just feel better. That's a gift from God. Um, Have you ever been healed from something and felt that? Like, let's remember that feeling. That is God delivering now in the land of the living, healing. And, And we can embrace the fact that if we trust God and his timing and method for how he heals... Uh, the timing may be over months of, and the method might be treatment and chemo. And just because we can understand the treatment and the chemo to, to one level um, doesn't mean it's less than a miracle. And just because it's not instantaneous and miraculous doesn't mean it's less than a miracle. So God does heal, Jesus does heal, but in this text we're going to look at this, uh, this healing that happens. And in this series, I'm going to be asking you to think about and pray for your miracle. What is the miracle that you want to, to long, that you long for God to heal and to restore? And it could be anything. Um, but remember what we said last week is that God, you are in a relationship with God. And, and Jesus is our relationship face. And when you have a relationship with someone, what's important to them is important to you. So we saw last week how, the, the, um, how Jesus uh, was asked by his mother to do a miracle, and because they're a relationship, it was important to her, therefore it's important to Jesus. And that's the same with us. You have a miracle, you have something to ask God. Maybe you've lost hope in asking. Maybe uh, you haven't had the courage to ask. Maybe you thought that, yeah, God's too busy. This is such a small thing. But I just want to urge you, ask. Because what's important to you is important to God. Let's look at this text where this man with leprosy comes. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you could make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed by his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. This man approached Jesus, knelt before him, so showed this reverence. And he says, If you are willing, you can cleanse me. Jesus says, I am willing. And he was cleansed. That is the most efficient use of a dialogue of a miracle I can imagine. You can't take any words away from that, but it just gives us this really, if you will, will you, I will, you are. Like, boom, done. We don't know all the other context of there, but there's a, this interaction is the way that he approaches Jesus is with humility, but not with humiliation. And I want to point that out because I think oftentimes we we feel, and if you've been around a church, maybe you've heard that um, God is a God that uh, if you repent, He will forgive. And we get that backwards. It's like somehow, if uh, if we repent, if if we admit that we are sinners, then He will forgive us. But this man didn't have to humiliate himself. He came before God with dignity. Acknowledge Jesus has the power, 
and ask for a miracle. I think that's really important to remember in our relationship with Jesus. And then here's the other thing Jesus says. He reached out and he heals the man. Now, we're going to talk about leprosy in a minute. But generally speaking, if someone has a contagious disease, they're not supposed to touch people. (laughs) And Jesus reaches out and touches this man and heals him. That might be me the most powerful point in this message. And then he says, be clean, and and he was, and then he basically tells him, now what do you do? Go to church. (laughs) You've been wanting to commune and worship your God, bring your sacrifice to your God to show your worship to God, and you haven't been able to, now you can. We're going to unpack all of that. Okay. When I was looking at all my commentaries, they all had this... uh, some level of this thing in common where they would make a reference to that in, in Jewish time and, and they would take the, 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 they would draw a parallel, they'd use parallelism with leprosy and sin in our life. And I want to point out um, four or five ways that leprosy and sin are the same. And then I'm going to talk about why that even matters. So the first, the first parallel of leprosy and sin Leprosy is an inward disease. Even though when you think of leprosy, you think of a skin disease, and you think of manifesting itself on the skin, it's actually a disease that starts on the inside. And by, you start, by the time you start seeing it on, on the skin, it's already active on the inside, growing and, and destroying everything around it. And it starts to manifest itself with skin disease, and you start to see it. And the parallel with sin is that that's where all of our sin comes from, is on the inside. Now, before we go too far and to, to kind of put a seatbelt on all the Calvinists for a second, uh, we, we aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. You don't have to try to sin. You don't, you don't want to like exercise, you know, like no one's New Year's resolution is I'm going to really work out my anger muscles so I can be more angry, right? We, we don't, we don't, it just is, it's in us and it wants to come out and it's trying to grow and to come out. We, that is on the inside of us. If you think about everything that in your life that you are, that you want to stop, everything in your life that you would call sin, it starts inside of you natively. It's, it's anger, it's pride, it's anxiety, it's fear, it's selfishness, it's greed, it's lust. It's, it's all these things that we would call sin all happen and they are inside of us and that's the nature of this leprosy disease. And then as they manifest themselves, and it gets deeper inside of you. You can't contain it. It comes out of you. That's a parallel. The other way is, is, is it's just a horribly destructive disease. Leprosy would destroy, it just keeps destroying everything. It, it just wants to grow and overtake, much like cancer. And it comes with this uncomfortable combination of numbness and pain and nerves deadening and and your limbs could fall off and uh yeah it just 
your, 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 your ability to feel pain would go away. So a lot of the injuries that they would have is an accidental injury that they wouldn't notice that would get infected and that would make it even worse. It's a horrible, horrible disease. It had a terrible odor. It smelled bad. It, there's references in writings to how lepers were repelled by the smell of other lepers. Lepers... Um, leprosy, you would see limbs falling off, like you'd lose hands and feet. A lot of other handicaps would manifest out of the inability to treat lepers. It's a horrible, horrible, horrible disease. The um, Leprosy could also be heard. As one commentator said, that was interesting. It could be heard because it would start to take your vocal cords and all lepers would kind of sound the same, right? And I, I would say our sin can be heard and seen. The scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when you're in pain and when you're suffering or when there's sin in your life, it comes out of you the way you talk to people, the way you treat people, the way you interact with people, the way you're willing to serve or sacrifice for people or not. It just comes out of you and you can hear it. Oftentimes it's, uh, now not all because some sarcasm is beautiful and brilliant, but oftentimes it comes out as sarcasm or biting comments or you know you should say this, but you feel this, so it comes out and it makes the people around you feel insecure and safe, unsafe. And that leads to the third point where leprosy was isolating. They were by... Jewish law, Levitical law, required to separate themselves and, and live and act and announce themselves as an outcast. Mary, can you put up that Leviticus 14 passage? 1345 says, anyone with such defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. If they were ever around people, they had to that was their responsibility to declare, I'm contagious, stay away from me. And it was extremely isolating. As also you can manage the other effects would make you isolated. They had to live in a separate colony. They couldn't be among their people. If you were married and you had leprosy, you had to move away from your family. You were disconnected, you were alone. You couldn't touch anyone. I mean, we have tons of research, and I think we all just know that if we go through life for an extended, extended period without physical touch, it has tremendous damage on our psyche. It messes with us. Those with leprosy just weren't touched, and they just felt isolated and alone. And to me, like, you've heard of introverts and extroverts. I think I'm an extra extrovert. So the idea of being completely isolated and not able to interact with anyone, that is like a certain version of hell in my nightmares, you know? Yeah. It's a very isolating disease. Sin does the same. When our sin in our life comes out and it manifests, we're, we are separated. How many relationships have been destroyed by sin? How many marriages have been destroyed by sin? Think about this. The sin that is in us 
It comes out and it destroys. You never have two people in a relationship that have victory over sin that are in conflict. There's always sin involved. Paul writes over and over and over again, like the manifest truth of people living in the spirit of Jesus is unity and peace. So when the sin in our life comes out, it's isolating. It separates us. The last two are very similar. The, the, the fourth point is when you had leprosy, there was nothing inside of you. There was nothing you could do yourself to heal leprosy. When you had leprosy, you couldn't go to the gym and work out. You couldn't change your diet and it would go away. You couldn't rub an ointment on and heal it. There was no cure for leprosy except for something from the outside. Now we do have a cure for leprosy, and leprosy still exists. It's, it's, uh, in India, it's, it's not as uncommon as it is here, um, but the treatments are a combination of antibiotics and steroids, and it's a series of medications you take, and it eradicates uh, the leprosy inside of you. And, uh, but it requires something from the outside to bring healing. Now, sin, we have sin. We can't fix our own sin. We can't, no amount of self-help and, and trauma progress and, and dealing with your past and, and reconciling and 12 steps, nothing can heal the sin except for something from the outside. And so this, this leper coming to Jesus saying, if you will, you can heal me. Jesus says, I will, and you're healed. He is healed from Jesus from the outside. Now, what makes this in other ways is connected to sin, and this is the fifth point, is Jesus can heal the leper, and Jesus can heal the sin. Jesus healed the leper in a way that, this is what I love, is so profoundly true of how Jesus Jesus heals. Of the 23 miracles, Jesus healed in many different ways. He didn't have to touch the leper. Actually, for Jesus to touch the leper was for him to break the Levitical law because the Levitical law would say over and over and over again, if someone is ceremonially unclean and you're the rabbi and the priest, you cannot touch the unclean or you become unclean, ceremonially unclean. Jesus shatters that, reaches into what this man needs the most, and he touches him. This man hasn't been touched and you don't know how long. And he touches him. And he heals it. And he tells the man, he said, you're more important than religion. You're more important than what other people think about me. You're more important than my reputation. I'm going to touch you. And you're going to be healed. Jesus weaves in and just... And typically what would happen when you touch someone with a contagious disease, you become sick. But not when you're Jesus. <laughs> he touched the man with a communicable disease and the healing of Jesus overtook the sickness. That's the kind of Jesus we're asking for healing. We're, we're asking for a miracle. So you may not be able to see based on human understanding how God can heal your miracle but we're not dealing with human understanding. We're dealing with God understanding. Josh said something earlier that's kind of just been, it was like a mind virus and it's been pinging around in my head all morning. He said, uh, you know, we call healing supernatural, but if God created the world, it wouldn't 
however God created it, be natural? So it's like, it's natural that there's a miracle worker in the world named Jesus that brings healing. So we can ask him for healing and we can trust in him and believe in him. Now, two more points I want to make. One, this, uh, this leper, this story of the leper, and the connection with leprosy and sin, uh, it, every time I've studied this, that's been there by the commentaries and the, the, the theologians. They draw that connection. And, and one of the reasons that I think is really profound as to why it makes sense is if you look at where this passage is in the context of this gospel in Matthew. Jesus has just taught the Sermon on the Mount, and in the Sermon on the Mount, he taught the Beatitudes, and then he taught this whole section that teaches, uh, teaches us about sin. And it says that if you view yourselves as righteous because you haven't murdered anybody, if you view yourselves as whole and clean because you haven't murdered, I tell you, if you've ever been angry, you're guilty of sin. And if you think that you're holy because you've never committed adultery, if you have ever lusted after a woman, you're guilty of sin. And having these stories right here and one feeding into the other, I believe that God and Jesus, Jesus is trying to reveal to us and get us to accept the fact that in this story, we are the leper. We are the one with sin that is in us that is manifesting in a way that's causing all this pain, and he is the one that can heal it. And the direction to us is to come to him in humility and ask him to heal. And I would say in humility and dignity. Because I think for too long in the church, and I've heard this, some of you may believe this or seen this or heard this or had this impression from a preacher or church, and I think it just needs to be destroyed right now, in that in order for us to receive healing from God, we have to not only humble ourselves, but we have to repent and humiliate ourselves. We have to like devalue ourselves and, and, and come to God with humiliation and, and have all of our dignity and pride just be squashed and just be a worm and we're useless. But then we kind of redeem it by saying, but it is Jesus that gives us value and dignity, so everything in me is useless, but it's only Jesus that gives me dignity. And I just want to, if that is your understanding of what the gospel is, you, one of two things. One, you, you, don't, you don't quite understand the gospel, or you don't know God at all. And either one of those, uh, I view that as like both of those are a certain form of sickness and you can ask God and he'll heal you. And like, but, but I, I want to make sure that we are not operating in that realm where we have no worth unless we have Jesus. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for your sin and my sin and he didn't take into account who would say yes, Lord, and who would say No. He didn't take into account your response before he died for your sin. Before he offered you the path to healing your sin and restoring you to righteousness, he didn't say, well, I'm only going to do this because I'm sure that they're going to say yes and receive. No. As a sinner, you have value to God because you are made in God's image. It breaks his heart when his children reject him. But it doesn't strip you of dignity and value and worth 
And if you've ever heard a gospel that emphasizes the need for you to repent before you get the blessing of God, it's wrong. You're valuable before God. Now, again, if you're an extreme Calvinist, let me put the other bumper. I like to think of it like, you know, we're bowling and I've got the kid bumpers in the gutters. Like, I did one on that side, and let me do one on this side, because we as humans like to go to extremes and argue with each other, don't we? Uh, I never do that. But um, if you look at this interaction with this leper and Jesus, he implies that he's sick. He knows he's sick. Jesus doesn't make him admit that he's sick. Isn't that implied when you ask for healing? Isn't that implied when you ask for a miracle, you ask for help, you ask for healing, that you need it? Why make someone humiliate themselves and lose dignity? Because the very nature of God's relationship with man in creation is that he respects us. Think about that. C.S. Lewis draws the point that everyone who is in, in separation from God for eternity, everyone who is in hell, is their choice, and God respected that. Anyone who is with God, that's their choice, and he respected it. He says the gates of hell are locked from the inside. So that is beautiful and kind of scary at the same time, that our eternity is our choice. And the very nature of God is he respects that. And in that dignity that God gives his creation is where the choice that Adam and Eve had to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, to sin and disobey God and claim their own knowledge as the framework they wanted to live by instead of the, 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 the tree of life, which is the love. Like At that point, the very core value that God has because he's a God of love and you can't have love without choice, that very thing is giving dignity to mankind. So if you've ever believed or heard a message that tries to strip you of dignity and humiliate you into receiving Jesus, it's wrong. He values you and loves you right where you're at. And that feeds the other myth. When you come to Jesus and you're asking for your miracle, you're asking for healing, you don't have to have it figured out before you get there. You don't have to go to a therapist and know the words to say and have it, you know, this framework that says, now wait, I'm hearing a bumper. Therapy's good. I like therapists. It's awesome. It's been amazing in my life to speak to a therapist. But that isn't the requirement. You don't have to fix yourself before you come to God. You don't have to get it all right before you come to Jesus. So that's two things I want you to think about. One, are you stopping asking God for the miracle because you don't have it figured out yet? And that one I view as like, you ever, you know, at Christmas time when you, because I know you all do this because you're all disciplined, and when you, when you take down the Christmas lights, you put them back on the original package wrap, and they're all organized, and, and then you put them away, and you put them in the organized thing. So next time when you pull them out, it's so organized that the, the tree lights just come off the thing, and you play. No, we don't do that. We're like, oh, crud, Valentine's Day is around the corner. We got people coming over for something, and I got to get the Christmas ornaments down. Like... <laughs> And so you tear them down, you throw them in the bin, and you shove them somewhere. Next year, you pull them out, and there's this jumbled mess of intertwined Christmas lights. And then you're trying to pull them apart, right? 
And you're like, how do I do this? That's not how it is with God. We can bring the jumbled mess and lay it before God and say, if you will, you can clean this. You can heal this. And he doesn't say, hey, you know what? Uh, Go fix that first and then come back and ask. He doesn't do that. So are we approaching God with that? Like, I'm I'm not going to ask for this miracle because I don't have it figured out yet. What's broken in your life? What's hurting? What are you longing for? What are you missing? What do you need to see? What do you want to see? Because what's important to you is important to him. And when you bring it to him, are you just giving it to him? Be in this with me, God. He's in a relationship with you. Be in this with me and help me figure this out. And who knows how he's going to heal you? Let's go back to the Christmas lights. Who knows how he's going to untangle that thing? He may give you an afternoon by yourself where you get to listen to your favorite music and relax and have this kind of therapeutic, repeated process of untangling them yourself. And and you realize, boy, that was just a gift. I didn't see that coming. Or he may have a neighbor come over and go, hey, how you doing? Anything I can help you with? And like miraculously, this kid or person can just all of a sudden untangle your lights. It's usually like the guy who you always feel, you ever wrap cables, you feel judgment from him because you're not doing it right. Uh, But he comes over and he can just do it. And you're watching him like a wizard undo these lights. And you're like, what's it like to graduate from Hogwarts? And you're just, you're magical. How did you do that? Maybe that's the way you're healed. Maybe that's the way your your things are untold. Who knows what God's to do? And the point is, can you trust God with the process? Can you trust God? Will you trust him with however the healing comes? Josh was healed through doctors and other humans Loving mankind so much that they became experts in a medical field to care for others. Dedicating their life to caring, nurturing. A, a, a nurse, a receptionist at the hospital who, I work here because I get to help people. A caregiver. Uh, we have birth doulas in our church. We have nurses. We have senior caregivers in our church. We have people that have dedicated their life. I just want to thank you. Like, it is, you are a conduit of God's miracle in our life. But what other ways of healing, what other miracles are you calling for or are you asking God for? Because no matter what it is, if it's important to you, it's important to God. Don't buy into the lie like it's not big enough. You don't say, well, it's not cancer, so who knows what it is. But he can. He can heal you. There's three things. Go ahead, Mary, put up that closing slide. There's three things that we're going to ask over and over and over again. This is the process. This is just to help you kickstart this conversation with God. Ask God for your miracle. Get over all the hurdles that make you feel like you've got to be fixed before you come to God. I'm going to say this now because I skipped it. The second point about this, about um, you don't have to have things figured out before you come to God with your miracle. It's from the side of asking for the miracle, but also being God's people. Are you the kind of person that is accepting and loving of people who aren't fixed, who are still this bundle of mess? We are the kind of church where we welcome people who are a bundle of mess. 
You don't have to have things figured out before you get here. You are welcome. And as God's people, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's what it looks like. You are a person where people don't have to have their life together to be your friend. They don't have to have their life together to be in your church. They don't have to have their life together for you to work with them, to be kind to them, and to invest in them, and care for them, and to study with them, and to grow with them, and to worship next to them, and to, and to give to God's kingdom with them, and to love your neighbor with them. They don't have to have it all figured out. Are you okay with smelly people? If you're not, uh, you're not going to like me, because <laughs> I'm smelly. metaphorically. But that is what it means to be God's people. I'm just so glad God doesn't say, hey, here's my book. Go figure it out, and then you can get into heaven. Can you imagine? Like, there's a passage that's often misinterpreted where Jesus says, be perfect, for I am perfect. Like, Can you imagine if that was the sermon of the day? Hey, just want to let you know, I was reading this. Be perfect. Or you're out. Let's pray. Right? Like, what would that be? Sorry, Josh, that was like a false flag. (laughs) The worship band came up. Actually, let's have you come back up while I close. Let's do this. Uh, The kids are here. Hey, uh, I just want to thank you for joining us today. And I hope you hear this message loud and clear. Here's our call to action, this direction. If this is helpful for you, use this. Write it down. Internalize this. Let's ask God for the miracle. Let's believe that he wants to heal us. Remember what he said to the leper? If it's your will, you can heal me. It is my will. It is his will to bring his healing. And then trust him in the response. Trust him in the timing and place. And I believe, you've heard it said that when you go to God and you ask for something, there's, I don't know if you've heard this, he said there's always one of three answers. There's yes, which we get excited about. There's no, which we sometimes pretend like we're not hearing. And then there's not yet. But I believe that when it comes to things like physical healing or restoration or bringing us to maturity or healing our past and, and giving us hope in our trauma, there's only two answers. There's yes, and there's not yet. Because we're promised this healing in heaven, right? We're promised this restoration. We're promised that this suffering will too end. So let's be confident in the way we come before the Lord, we worship him, and we offer our our prayer of a miracle because he wants to heal. God, I thank you so much for today that you have brought us to this place and this time and this moment to consider asking you for a miracle. And I pray that you would deliver And God, I'm going to let you define miracle. I'm not going to define it. I'm going to let you define the healing. I'm not going to define it. And I'm going to believe that you can and it is your will. And God, I will live in your freedom of trusting in you and believing in you and hoping in you. And that will bring me joy. That will bring me peace. And I claim that and I invite everyone to as well. In Jesus' name, amen.